Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Today's Psalter reading comes from Psalm number 86, a prayer of David, verses 1 through 10 and 16 to 17. Hear now God's word from verses 1 through 10. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am devoted to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all day long. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call on you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my cry of supplication. In the day of my trouble I call on you, for you will answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and bow down before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. And from verses 16 and 17, Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. Save the child of your serving girl. Show me a sign of your favor, so that those who hate me may see it and be put to shame, because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Friends, please know this. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verses 34 to 39. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. This is Jesus speaking. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The word of the Lord. You didn't mishear that. That was Jesus speaking, he of the good news. That was Jesus who said, do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have come Not to bring peace, but a sword. It surprised me too. Who knew that Jesus had a sword on his person? I don't know how I missed that. And what do swords do? 
Well, swords cut. Swords divide. Swords separate and put people at odds. This is what Jesus came to do. Normally, typically, when there is so much division and conflict in the world around us, pastors like myself, we tend to preach about a spirit of compassion and reconciliation. Normally, typically, in a time when everything is so politicized and everyone is itching for a fight, we pastor types like to encourage you to find common ground. Into the chaos, I would preach peace. But I can't do that today because Jesus doesn't do that today. Today, amidst the uncertainties of his, this, and every time, Jesus teaches us that what he wants from us above all other things is our complete and utter loyalty. And the price of this loyalty, in case we missed it, is conflict, division with the people and institutions we love the most. If you want to follow me, Jesus teaches, if you want to find your life, if you want to be called worthy of me, you need to expect, anticipate, look for some conflict, some tension with your family, with the people and places you most identify with. Now, as much as this little lesson startles us today in the 21st century, imagine how shocking this teaching would have been to first century Jews for whom loyalty to family and community was the center of all existence. Normally, typically, into a climate like we find ourselves in today, I would preach about tolerance and understanding, but not today. Today is about figuring out where our loyalty lies. Today is about discerning where that imaginary line is that we won't cross, not even for Jesus. Today is about naming and claiming the people, identities, and institutions we hold on to for dear life. What relationships do you have, do you value, more than your relationship with Jesus? Who do you listen to, follow, emulate more than you do Jesus? What do you love? Who do you love more than Jesus? What loyalties do you hold on to that are causing you to lose your life? I'm asking because Jesus wants it all. He wants complete loyalty and trust. Salvation, grace, mercy, they are ours. They're a gift. They are ours regardless of how committed we are to Jesus. But the life we want, the life God wants for us, the life Jesus promises us, the receiving of that life seems to be dependent on how willing we are to let Jesus sever all other loyalties from us except for our loyalty to him. So what do you say? Let's do this. Let's take a moment to explore some of the loyalties Jesus might be ready and eager to sever us from with that sword he's been carrying around. Really, what do we have to lose? 
So let's begin where Jesus begins, with our families. This might be an easy thing to sever for those of you who don't have the best relationship with your parents or your in-laws. By the way, I love my in-laws if they're listening this morning. This might be easy for you if you don't love or like your family all that much, but for those of, of you who do, how do you feel about this idea that you might have to separate yourself from your family in order to grow in your faith? Parents out there, how would you feel if your children told you they needed some space, some time apart from you to figure out what God wanted with their life? What I'm getting at, if the direction Jesus is calling you to go means standing in opposition to your family and its history, would you follow him? And if not, why? Severing your ties to your family is not a particular challenge for you. Let's look at another loyalty that lays claim on many of us today, loyalty to our nation. This is a tough one, especially when so many people feel our nation and its history, its ideals, and its institutions are under attack. One way to, to gauge if your loyalty to nation is in conflict or standing against your loyalty to Christ is to consider, for a moment, just consider your feelings around the American flag that stands in this and other places of worship. How would you feel if the flag was removed from this space? Are you willing to sever your national identity from you in this sacred space to be more connected, more aligned with Christ and his will? And if you find yourself having a literal, visceral reaction to even the idea of the flag being removed from the sanctuary, now might be a good time to explore why. Another favorite right now is loyalty to ideology. I mean, think of the undying loyalty progressives and conservatives have for their core issues, their core political stands. Let's be honest, progressives are inclusive and accepting of everyone except for those for whom good or bad reasons are not themselves inclusive. And conservatives, with all the talk of limited government, have some pretty strong opinions and thoughts when it comes to government's role in morality. Would you vote for a Democrat who wanted to restrict abortion rights? Would you vote for a Republican who wanted to restrict gun rights? Is your loyalty to your party, to your ideology, making it impossible for you to love and respect and honor the diverse array of people Jesus loves? And if so, why? Closer to home, let's look at loyalty to this city's history, specifically regarding the monuments. When you hear of Lee or Stewart or Jackson being taken down or defaced, how do you feel? And if you find yourself feeling angry, I mean really angry, this is a good time to ask yourself why. Why does damage to bricks and mortar stir my heart so deeply when there are so many people suffering in our city right now because of generational systemic racism and inequality? How might your Lord loyalty, my loyalty to a story, 
be getting in the way of me, of you, living the gospel story here and now. And then there's the loyalty to the almighty dollar. I'll be honest, this is my biggest struggle. I I trust Jesus, but I have my lines too. I wonder if this is the, the line, the thing, Jesus has the hardest time cutting through with that sword of his in our American culture our trust in the almighty dollar. If you find yourself using a cost-benefit analysis more often than the teachings of Jesus to make important decisions, you might want to take a moment to ask why. When push comes to shove, who do you trust more with your future? Jesus or your financial planner? Loyalties. Loyalties that stand over and against our loyalty to Jesus. We all have them. That is why I likely offended all of you with at least one of these examples. But before you get mad at me, don't forget it's Jesus who's carrying the sword. It's Jesus who is looking to cut, to divide, to separate, and to put people at odds. It's Jesus who has come not to bring peace, but division. So why? Why does he do this? Why does Jesus feel the need to sever our primary loyalties as a requirement to following him? Why does he care if we love our country, our party, our resources, or our families as much as we love him? Isn't there enough room in our hearts for more than one love? Why does Jesus want it all? Here's what I think. You cannot live with divided loyalties. It's just not possible. A house divided cannot stand. No one can serve two masters. You can't live, at least not with any sense of joy or peace. When you have multiple loyalties demanding your energy and attention, you can't be loyal to your family, your nation, your party, your community, all the time, or all at the same time. And more importantly, you you can't be loyal to Jesus if you're unwilling to separate yourself or put yourself up against your nation, your community, your church, your family, your resources. You you can't live with divided loyalties. You, You need to choose. So why choose Jesus? Well, here's my reason. Jesus is the only one demanding your loyalty who has done for you what is being asked of you. He is the only one who has given up what he asks you to forfeit. Family, friends, security, community, nation. Which is why I believe the loyalty he demands from us ultimately leads to our freedom. He asks for it all so he can give it all back to us. When Jesus becomes our primary focus, when he is our plumb line, our rock, our cornerstone, when it is his advice, his teachings, and his insights we use to make decisions, when we love him fully and completely more than anyone or anything, we are free. We are free to return to all those relationships that were severed with a more honest and authentic love. When our loyalty lies with Jesus, we can love our family and our community and our nation with our eyes wide open. 
We can love them and be honest about them. We can love them without over-identifying with them. We can love them without feeling the need to always protect them. All other loyalties, even the really good ones, especially the really good ones, are obstacles to true freedom. You can't live the life God wants for you. You can't love and forgive enemies and friends. You can't be generous to all people. You can't work for justice and peace. You can't do the hard work of repentance if you have people or institutions or worldviews that demand your blind loyalty. You have to have eyes to see. Sharon Snyder was a clerk for a circuit court judge in the state of Missouri. People often came to Sharon requesting documents that might help them as they tried to prove their innocence of a loved one or a family member who had gone to jail. One day in 2009, a woman came and told her the story of her brother, a man named Robert Nelson, who had been convicted of rape and served 25 years of a 70-year prison term. The woman insisted her brother was innocent. At the time of his conviction, DNA testing was not yet available, but now it was. And Nelson wanted to file a motion to have DNA testing done on the evidence from his case. Sharon gave Nelson's sister the documents she requested But sometime later, the sister returned to the court and told Snyder that Nelson's request for DNA testing had been denied. She didn't know why. Nelson filed another request, and this one was also denied. Neither he nor his sister could figure out why. They were doing this on their own. They they couldn't afford a lawyer. Then Snyder, the clerk for a circuit court judge in the state of Missouri, then Snyder remembered a similar case where requests for DNA testing had been granted. The paperwork for the request was now a matter of public record, so Snyder showed it to Nelson's sister. Using that request as a template, Nelson filed for a third time, and this time his request was granted. The evidence was tested and showed that Nelson was innocent. 30 years after he went to prison, Nelson was set free. And two weeks later, Sharon Snyder was suspended without pay for violating a law that forbid her from offering legal advice or counsel. A few days later, she was fired. Snyder, 70 years old at the time, had worked in that office for 34 years and was nine months away from retirement. When Ira Glass interviewed Snyder for his radio show, This American Life, he asked her if there was anything good that had come out of everything that had happened after she helped Robert Nelson. He was expecting her to say something like, well, I got to retire a little earlier than I planned, or I spent some more time with my grandkids, or I've gotten to do a bunch of TV and radio interviews. That's cool. But her answer referenced none of those things. Instead, she said this, the good thing that came from this is that Robert Nelson is free, and I am so happy for him. 
I'm glad I did what I did, and I believe it was a worthy cause. Even though I lost my job and it put me financially in a bind, it was worth it, and I would do it again. Loyalty to Christ and Christ alone gives us the freedom to love, serve, and support those in need in the ways they need without being constrained by the consequences. Loyalty to Christ and Christ alone also gives us the freedom to be critical, objective, and honest about the people and places and institutions we love in the ways they need without being constrained by the consequences. Loyalty to Christ is freedom. This is why Christ is willing to look us in the eye and say to us, even in times like these, especially in times like these, do not think, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Christ has come to set us free. Hallelujah and amen.